Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Sunday service on this blustery uh, Sunday day. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. And it's our great joy to um, uh, celebrate Sunday service with you. And we'd like to especially welcome all our Expanding Light and Meditation Retreat guests and everyone uh, observing uh, service and partaking in service over the Internet. I'd like to re- read from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. And this week's reading is uh, The Infinite Christ. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John contains some of the most profound spiritual teachings in the Bible. In the first chapter, many subtle truths are suggested concerning higher states of self-realization. Here, John the Baptist is described as one reaching up towards that high state. He was not that light, the gospel tells us, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus, by contrast, is described as the light itself. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. One essential truth stands out in this teaching, that Jesus came not to dogmatize people with a new teaching, but to bring them timeless, universal truths. Disciples saw the Master clothed in human form, and therefore judged him in terms of his greatness relative to the greatness of other teachers. Wisdom, however, sees the Master's very greatness in terms of a cosmic unity. There is a passage in the path by Swami Kriyananda, in which this point is emphasized, the Master Paramahansa Yogananda explained, the saint who attains that exalted consciousness never says, I am God, for he sees it was the vast ocean that became his little wave of ego. The wave, in other words, would not claim, when referring to the little self, to be the ocean. At this juncture, Debbie, who was present, cried excitedly, But sir, if you are one with that ocean, that means you are God. Why I, Master asked, say he, he is God. But still, sir, you are one with him, and he is the only reality. That means you too are God. But this body isn't God. You you aren't identified with your body, sir. So one may still say that you are God. Well, in that case, why do you say you? You, too, are that. In a discussion of this sort, it is less confusing if we say he. But what's the difference? The scriptures say, Master began, it's only your humility, sir, Debbie broke in, that makes you distinguish between yourself and him. How can there be humility when there's no consciousness of ego? Triumphantly, Debbie cried, but if you have no ego left, that means you are God. Master laughingly continued the earlier statement, which Devi had interrupted. The scriptures say, he who knows Brahma becomes Brahma. There, cried Devi, you said it yourself. (laughs) The master rejoined still laughingly, I didn't say it. It's the scriptures that say so. (laughs) Master, in other words, would not identify those words with the human body speaking them. 
It was in his overarching spirit that he saw himself one with the infinite. But Debbie was unable to make this mental leap from a pure expression of infinity to infinity itself. You quoted those scriptures, sir, he reminded Master relentlessly. That means you agree with them. <laughs> Recognizing that, distinction, that the distinction was perhaps too subtle for many to grasp, the Master concluded, well, he who says he is God isn't God. And he added with a smile, he who says he isn't, isn't. <laughs> and there the subject rested amid uh, general laughter. The greater a spiritual teaching, the more greatly we betray it by particularizing it with dogmas. Truth itself, not the Christian truth or the Hindu truth, incarnates on earth with the birth of a fully liberated master. As the Bhagavad Gita teaches in the fourth chapter, unborn, changeless, Lord of creation and controller of my cosmic nature, though I am, yet entering nature I am dressed in the cosmic garment of my own maya, delusion. O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth, taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Well, good morning, everyone. I also wanted to... I was thinking the same words, thank you for coming out on this blustery day, but now that we're all here, it's not blustering anymore. (laughs) So, um, I'll begin this morning with a reading from Yogananda's book of prayers and poems, Whispers from Eternity. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life. Every sound that I make Let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. Well, the reading this morning on the infinite Christ is one of the very dear readings that gives such a picture of Master interacting with the disciples in, in such an endearing way of them trying to figure out who he is. And he's just so natural with all of that. Um, so I wanted to talk this morning about the infinite Christ. Uh, there's a story about Buddha, that Buddha was asked, what have you gained from meditation? And he answered, nothing. Now, ask me what I've lost. And then he said, I've lost anger, I've lost desire, I've lost fear, I've lost worry, 
I've lost fear of old age, death, and illness. So this journey that we're on is a journey not of attaining, but of removing. And so this reading on the sculptor is so appropriate that we're saying to God, just take away what is not of thee. And in that way, we become the infinite Christ. And it's a beautiful image, but let's imagine ourselves as that piece of stone. And there is God with a chisel and a hammer. And it's not going to be very pleasant if you happen to be the stone. You know, these (laughs) boing, boing, painful chips of hunks of old karma flying off, trying to release the infinite Christ beneath it. But we have to be ready to realize that in the process, there may, may not be entirely pleasant. Um, our teacher and founder here, Swami Kriyananda, was at one point in his life uh, very deeply uh, connected with Yogananda's organization in Southern California, totally devoted to serving the master there. And in 1962, in a very uh, precipitous, non-communitive, no chance to, to discuss it, he was thrown out of the organization. And those of us who knew him, though Swami was so great and so free, we watched. This was the huge, huge test in his life. And for decades, he worked on it. I mean, he really, it wasn't like he went, okay, that was from God, I got it. He, he really, it really took him a long time to work it through. How could something so unfair have happened? Even though he felt it was the greatest blessing of his life. And even though we felt it was the greatest blessing of his life, because Ananda wouldn't exist without it. And at one point he said, um, I always thought, talking about this incident, he said, I always thought if I could understand it, I could accept it. And then I realized it was only if I could accept it that I could understand it. It gives us a picture of what we're trying to do here as we go through life. Things are going to happen for the sole purpose of helping us discover the infinite Christ within us. As my friend Trimurti said to me this week, God and our soul are in cahoots. And they're, they're, they're working to reveal who we really are. And it won't always be the most fun. You know, we enter into this path. I think we kind of enter into it relatively clueless. You know, we're seeking something. We know we're seeking something, joy, love. I kind of got catapulted onto the path, just this intense intense desire to discover who I was, who I really was, who I, not my personality, but something deeper. I didn't know that had to do with God. I didn't know what it had to do with, but it led me here. And then you get kind of coaxed in, you know, through love, through calmness of meditation, through the blessings of God that you feel inwardly. And you don't realize that you've entered into a path that's very serious. It's a very serious path of liberation. And liberation, you know those signs that they put out at the end of the year, sale, everything must go. <laughs> That's the path of liberation. <laughs> everything must go. 
Some of that stuff, you know, maybe you haven't exactly decided you were ready to let go, but it's got to go. So we're, we're working on that. And when we were here in the early days of Ananda, there was a well-known Swami who used to um, touch his disciple with a feather, and they would go into like an ecstatic spiritual state. And that seemed really nice, actually. <laughs> like a really good idea. Here we were doing our creedas, you know, devotedly morning and evening. You know, to have something like that seemed like a really great idea. And Swami, we weren't having that necessarily, but, but Swami <laughs> explained Kriya in a very interesting way. He said, you know, disciples can have those exalted experiences, but they don't have the spiritual maturity underneath it to sustain it. So you have an experience like that, but then you go back to where you were. Excuse me. <coughs> you, you, because you, you haven't developed enough. It's a blessing, but then you go back. And he said, Kriya is different. Kriya is like an elevator. So you're moving up. You may be moving up slowly, but you're moving up completely um, uh, into, in an integrated way. So as you grow and as you do have experiences, which you do have on the Kriya path, maybe not the kind that they were having, but you have very beautiful experiences, but it's all part of your increasing spiritual development. And that's what we are doing, and it's a very thrilling experience for all of us. I um, used to have a dental hygienist, and when she started her work as a hygienist, she started it in um, the Middle East. I think she was, I don't know if it was Iran or Iraq, but she was working in the palace. So she was cleaning teeth for the, you know, the king and the princesses and all the, you know, in this very opulent world. And one day the princess came in and she looked kind of, I want to say that she looked kind of down in the mouth. (laughs) I just came. (laughs) I'm sorry, it just just came to me. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so this hygienist said to her, Princess, what's wrong? You don't seem very your usual happy self today. And the princess said, well, she said, I've I've hired a um, personal trainer. And the hygienist said, well, that's great. And she said, no, he expects me to do the exercises. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are, you know, and the gurus are working on our behalf, but we have to do the exercises. And it's not always clear how we're supposed to do that. And this past year, as I've mentioned before, um, we have a, Gita study group. And so we've been really going into the essence of the Bhagavad Gita by Yogananda, uh, remembered by Swami Kriyananda. And there have been so many gifts in that book. And one of them that I think we don't, I didn't really understand this. And I, and I think you might find it quite a little surprising and hopefully valuable. Um, there's a passage in the Gita, it's chapter 3. Uh, passage 33, and you may know it. It's Krishna saying to Arjuna, of what avail is suppression? In other words, of what purpose is it to suppress? 
so suppressed. What does that mean? So does that mean that if I have a desire, I should run off and try to fulfill it? Does it mean that if I'm angry, I should just throw a fit? I should, I should um, just let everything I want just lead me? Well, actually, we already tried that. <laughs> we tried that. We tried fulfilling our desires. We tried venting our emotions. And that's what led us to the path of yoga. So obviously, that's not what Krishna is meaning. And what Krishna is meaning is interesting because there's something that we've heard Swami tell very, very often in his life. He used to very frequently talk about going to the dentist. And he would talk about the fact that when he went to the dentist, he didn't use Novocaine. He just simply, a lot of the time his mind was so strong that he could just rise above it and compose music. But some of the time the pain was really intense. And what did he do? He just relaxed into the heart of it and released it from being in the heart of it. That, you know, and... uh, so many times he would start to tell the dentist story, and you go, the dentist story, okay. I know the dentist story, but we don't know the dentist story. That is why he kept telling it. So what, go, what happens in the Gita, he, he remarks about how to handle painful experiences like the dentist in, in exactly the way I told you. But then he goes on to emotional pain. And lo and behold, we handle it in the same way. So this is what's interesting. I think as devotees, let's say there's something, someone has, I'm going to give an example. Somebody has insulted you, they've treated you wrongly, you just don't like them. You don't like them, whenever you think of them, you feel a funny feeling in your stomach, you just, you don't like the way they behave. And over the course of time, because you're a devotee, you know that that's not how you're supposed to behave. That's negative, Therefore, I shouldn't be feeling that way. That person, they've had problems in their life, all blah, blah, blah. I'm going to squelch that feeling. I will refuse to accept that I have that feeling. On the other hand, your feelings were hurt, so therefore, in addition to squelching that feeling, you're also defending the feeling, and you're saying, you know, they are so arrogant, and it's, you know, it should, people shouldn't behave that way, and blah, blah, blah. So on the one hand, you squelch the feeling, On the other hand, you defend the feeling. Meanwhile, the feeling persists. How could it not persist? We haven't acknowledged it. And so what? This is in the Gita. It's so powerful. The Gita says, just accept the feeling. Go into that. I'm actually going to lead us into this so you understand what it is. And so we're going to take... Um, if you can bring to mind something in your life, and for some of you who've been Kriyabans for a long time, I know it's not easy to think of people that you don't like anymore. They just don't exist. But maybe there's something subtle in your life that isn't resolved. Maybe you're annoyed or resentful or whatever it is. Something, and it could be very subtle. If you, and, and let me please say, don't bring to mind in this example trauma. Let's just pick something small, okay, so we can do this in a, in a two-minute exercise. We're going to just do something simple. So I want you to bring to mind this person or this situation, and perhaps it makes you, f- and maybe it makes you feel something. So I'd like you to bring it to mind and feel 
what you feel. You might feel like a little funny feeling in your belly. You might feel a little constriction in your heart or in your throat. And now at this point, stop your thinking all together. Don't think this is bad. Don't think this is good. Don't even identify what it is. Just feel what you feel and accept that feeling. Accept that it's perfectly valid for it to be there and just relax with it. Just try to go into the feeling itself, no thought of any reason why it's there, just the feeling itself and relax more and more deeply in it. As you relax in it, you can almost feel it sort of vaporizing. It's being offered up to the infinite, offered to God, not with strain, not with effort, but just it's just evaporating. You're accepting it, you're relaxing. And let it go. Okay. Well, I know we're just starting this, but I just wanted, I wanted you to see what it was like. And you can take it into your meditation, you can try it at home and see it's very profound. I was amazed at what happened uh, when I tried this. And I think it's very, very powerful. The same experience transitioned over into another experience. It kind of happened spontaneously. I was thinking back to a time, actually 25 years ago, when there were a couple of people whose feelings that I hurt. And I felt badly about it for a long time. And there's nothing to be done about it. They've totally moved on. They have wonderful lives and all is well. And it's just a feeling that's left. And so what to do with it? And spontaneously, this approach came to mind. And what happened was, you know, you think back, if there's something in your life that you regret, you wish you weren't like that, you're guilty, whatever it is. And what happened was I began to look at the person who made that mistake. That happened to be me, but it was, I just observed them. I didn't judge them. I didn't defend them. I simply observed them. I observed who they were at that point, that they were very caught up in trying to make something happen. They weren't paying attention to people's, how people were feeling. They kind of steamrolled over something that they shouldn't have. And I just simply, and there are other factors too, and I'm not going to go into, but I just simply observed that person. I didn't identify with that person. I didn't reject that person. I just simply observed it. And I just want to say it's a very liberating thing. And I think that these two things, they're all the same idea, passage 333 in the Gita, of what avails suppression. I think they have a key for a lot of us. Because I think as devotees, a lot of us try to take things that were not good and just go, it's not okay for me to be that person. And we just don't don't re- relax with it. So anyway, I just wanted to share that because it's been very, very inspiring for me. And I hope, I hope you can experiment with it and see if it, if it applies to you. You might enjoy doing it because we're trying to liberate. We're trying to liberate all that we are. 
and, and discover all that we are. As we go through this path, it takes so much energy. You know, we have to put a lot of energy into waking up, <laughs> doing our sadhana, meditating, to really serving so strongly that we break out of our sense of what we can do and what we can't do. Just break the bounds of our ego and in our service and, and in our devotion. And we're at putting all this energy. But beneath it all is the quality of relaxation, of not striving to become the guru. We're not striving to become the guru. We're trying to remember that we are the guru, that that presence is not separate from us. Yesterday I re-watched something that I, maybe some of you remember it. Um, we saw the movie Awake, which is a movie about Yogananda. And um, for me, one of the most impactful parts was a uh, something that was said by a disciple of another guru, actually. I think uh, his name is um, Krishna Das, and I think he's a disciple of Neem Karali Baba. But he's a, he's a genuine disciple. He's really living his life as a disciple. And he said that he um, was talking to a saint in India, and he said to this saint, how can I become closer to my guru? And he said this saint looked at him as if he was entirely crazy. And he said how can you become closer to your guru? Your guru is looking at me through your eyes. The guru is not far away. The guru is the essence of who we are. And we're trying to, on the one hand, bring our energy inward and upward, and yet know that that's who we are. We're trying to not, be, not, not achieve it, but remember it. Um, we... Uh, receive a, um, I get the emails from Ananda Los Angeles, which I highly recommend. And our ministers there, Dharma Devi and um, Narayan, write really beautiful messages. And this past week, Dharma Devi wrote a message. And in the message, she said she'd had a dream. And in the dream, she'd obviously been working on the quality of kindness uh, as a focus for her life. And she said, in the dream, there was a woman who, a very beautiful woman who totally embodied the quality of kindness. And she looked at that woman, she said, who is she? And then she realized, oh, that's me. <laughs> but she thought, but it doesn't even look anything like me. And then she remembered Yogananda's words, that if you practice Kriya Yoga, you'll come to the point where you won't even recognize yourself. All these qualities are hiding inside of us. And we are just trying to practice the Kriya, free our consciousness, free our consciousness from thinking that we're something else than the infinite Christ. And so I'd like to end by reading this visualization that Swami Kriyananda wrote. So if you would... Um, sit up and close your eyes. And now, imagine yourself in heaven, surrounded by saints and angels, smiling upon you, because you 
are one of them. Feel their love and approval. Yes, they know you've done wrong things, but they view you with compassion. They see in you the real you, what is good in you, your divine potential. Think of yourself that way and think of them blessing you on all sides. Join in their company and rejoice in your freedom. <laughs> 